It is week two of the NFL preseason. We are three weeks away from NFL kickoff this day. In three weeks, you'll join us for a special. But tonight on the Irish NFL show, before the Eagles play the Patriots at Lincoln Financial Field at 12.30 in the morning. We hope you'll stay up for that one. We're here for the Irish NFL show, another week presented by Trust Gaming. Thank you very much to Trust for providing all of the equipment for this broadcast and also welcome in, especially if you're watching on the NFL Ireland Facebook page. Adam Schefter is on the show tonight and also Emmett Ryan. So a great show ahead of us tonight, great crack from both lads, but great crack from these boys as well. Welcome in. Uh, lads, it's been a quiet week. I mean, very quiet week sport-wise, gentlemen, especially over here in the Emerald Isle. But Colm, I'll start with you. Lads, what's been tickling your fancy in the NFL this week? Colm, do you want to go first? Um, I think Mark's face might be telling on this, but I think Mac Jones is going to start week one for the Patriots. Uh, mm. I think all signs point towards that right now. Uh, I, I think he has been very impressive. The stories coming out of there are that he has picked up the playbook really well. And uh, Bill Belichick is, is very pleased. And if you have Bill Belichick very pleased, uh, you know, that, that you must be doing something right. Although in fairness to Bill, one of the things that I saw that was really interesting during the week was a team talk he gave where he kind of was talking to his players about the importance of togetherness, the importance of celebrating together and the important importance of having fun. And he uh, showed a number of clips where guys made these big plays and it was done in the context of kind of the new taunting rule and stuff. But he talked about big plays and, and players coming together and celebrating together. Um, reminded me a lot of Alex Ferguson's insistence that his team celebrated together if somebody scored, that the, all the teams celebrated together. Um, but I think Bill Belichick may have found what he uh, feels is the heir apparent after a season of experimentation with Cam Newton. Um, it could well be Mac Jones. I thought he was, uh, he looked very impressive uh, to me and, and certainly the stories uh, seem to, to be that that would be the case. I think he starts week one. If he doesn't start week one, I think he's certainly in there before the end of the September. Yeah, I'm sticking on the same team and it's a rookie quarterback and it's uh, one who may not start in week one, but I think it's inevitable he will be starting by maybe week four or week five and that's Justin Fields of the Chicago Bears. Look, we know pre-season uh, pre games aren't anyway competitive in comparison to the season, but at the same time, came into the game last week and soldier the field against the Dolphins, looked very assured, ran for a touchdown, his overall play looked good and one thing he has that, that Dalton won't have and that's the ability to, to get away from the rush. We saw a number of very efficient runs from he looks he looks very secured and you know the general feedback is he's laser focused in the off season and he's been laser focused so far in the camp and he's doing all the right things so I think it's inevitable some stage the Bears fans are going to get what they want which is him starting may not be week one because they're away to the rounds but week two against the Bengals you know you could see why he'd be starting that game so for me interesting to see if Justin Fields will play this weekend there's also a story today breaking that he's gone for an MRI on a grind, so that could slow him up, but I think it's inevitable he's going to be a start at some stage very quickly for the Bears. Mark, you're not allowed to talk about the Patriots. That's fine. I don't want to talk about the Patriots. I want, they don't need to. It's pre-season. We are getting closer to real NFL action, and there are stories to beat the, the band. Uh, for me, it's the Seattle Seahawks signing up Jamal Adams to a four-year extension. We knew the deal would get done. We knew Jamal Adams would become the highest-paid safety in the league. Uh, Jets who wouldn't obviously break out their checkbooks and trade them away. Uh, some of their fans will be crying tonight, but the Seahawks lock him up. $72 million deal, $38 million guaranteed. Ultimately sealed with his mama texting him and telling him to get it over the line. Everyone's taken care of, just do the deal effectively after five months of negotiations. So the Seahawks looking up probably the best free safety in the game is uh, a good sign for them and obviously shores up that defense. Uh, going back to their great days of the Legion of Boom and an amazing secondary. But stories abound everywhere. Colin briefly alluded to, and I'm sure we'll talk more about this in coming weeks, the new taunting rule. How is that going to be enforced? The competition committee, consisting of GMs, team presidents, owners, three head coaches, not in any way a fan or a player involved in the NFL, have instigated this rule. The youngest member, I think, is Mike Tomlin at 49 years of age and have decided that taunting is no good anymore, and we must remove it from the game. If they apply it like they did in preseason week one, 
it is going to be the story of the NFL this season. So let's see how that continues on. And then lastly, we're into cut season. So Tebow's been cut. But more importantly than that, people like Don Mulback, long snapper for the Detroit Lions for 17 years. Um, even his owner called him a, a Detroit Lion great, has been cut. And now we get to these heartbreaking scenarios where people on the edge end up their dreams in the NFL dashed in the early days or the swan song days of preseason. Um, plenty to talk about, plenty to get into, guys. It's all coming on fast and furious now. Yes, sir. And I mean, lads are playing for their, their, their lives, their careers in the NFL this week in week two of the preseason. Really looking forward to it. I know Sky have got games on the, on the 20th as well. You can watch tonight's game on Game Pass. My point is this. I watched the Patriots game last week against Washington and it was great crack. I know it was preseason, but you genuinely you would have thought it was a second coming when Mac Jones came out of the field. Uh, I haven't seen people as excited, maybe in Crook Park on Sunday, but it was just, it was great crack. Uh, for me, the biggest story of the week has to be what happened the day after uh, our show last week. Josh Allen, 43 million a season dollars to 2028, signing of the decade in in the NFL. I'm, I'm just having a laugh, but what a, what a way for Buffalo to get their man. He stays through. I think the AFC at the minute is locked with those two guys, Mahomes and Allen, for the next six or seven or eight years. Once, uh, once it's tied up in that sense, who knows? Can could Mac Jones be getting paid in three or four years' time? Mark, I believe you've one thing to say before we bring in Mr. Schefter. Yeah, happiest person other than Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield. His mm. deal's up next. It's going to be some. It's going to be some summer. It's going to be some off season. Before we bring on Adam Schefter. Uh, we hope to announce our special guest for London very soon, hopefully in the next two or three weeks. Before week one, uh, tickets are available now on irishnflshow.com. Check it out. It's going to be a great crack. That's on October the 16th. And yeah, big guest this week. Colin, do you want to introduce him? Uh, I, I mean, the, the, man who, the man who breaks all, all of the, the stories. I mean, the, he, he's uh, somebody who I, I know that all, all of us have our Twitter notifications on for uh, Adam Schefter. I'm sure there are people all around the world who, who have it. He seems uh, never to sleep, whether it is four in the afternoon or four in the morning. Uh, there is one man breaking stories in the NFL, and we are deeply honored to, to have the opportunity to talk to the one, the only Adam Schefter. So, with three weeks to the start of the new NFL season, we're privileged to have one of the biggest and best NFL reporters to join the show. Guy that's written for several newspapers, established himself, established himself particularly at the Denver Post, before working on NFL Network, now the NFL insider for ESPN. The guy needs no introduction. Adam Schefter, welcome to the Irish NFL Show, Adam. Well, I think I actually do need an introduction to Ireland. I don't think they have any idea who I am, nor do they care about who I am. <laughs> like, why are you guys even reaching out to an NFL reporter from Ireland, why? What, what's the interest there? There's that much interest in the NFL. I'm, I'm telling you, Adam. I'd love to get stats and see how many people have got you on auto tweets or like notifications. Really? But yeah, because like we've got. Well, you can ask one of the main guys in a minute on who has who on auto tweets. But yeah, I, I probably see your tweets more than I see texts from my wife every day. So look, it's, it's an honor to have you on. Have you ever been to Ireland, Adam? Have you any heritage to Ireland or? Actually, uh, there was a time in my life before I got married, before I had kids, before I had five dogs like I do now, where there was this older gentleman. I was friendly with him and his wife, and he would get together a couple's trip every spring after the NFL draft, and they would go golfing. And one year, uh, we came to Ireland in May, and it was outstanding. I loved it. Um, we went to Scotland one year. I loved that. Went to Scotland maybe twice into Ireland another time. Um, my golf game was awful, but I loved your country. I loved being there. Uh, and if I still lived in that single world with, with uh, no family and no dogs, no obligations and responsibilities here, I'd be spending more time in your country than I do. Well, you have to, to bring the responsibilities that you have to Ireland to, to give them the opportunity to, to soak it up as well, Adam, because uh, it, is, it is a special place, as you know. But we, you know, you are, as Michael said, you're mo most famous to people over here and, and everywhere, I suppose, for the, the TV work. But you have your the podcast. Uh, you are a, a podcaster. Interested. In, can you tell us a little bit more about that? And obviously you can't narrow it down to one story, but any like a, so, some of your, maybe your your funnier moments or standout moments from uh, from podcasting. 
Well, thank you for the question, Colin. And basically, uh, I started doing the Adam Schefter podcast probably four or five years ago. And I'll tell you the most interesting thing about it, really. You know, we've kind of tried to figure out what works and what doesn't work, uh, as, as I'm sure you guys have tried to figure out on your own. And, and then we had a revelation in April where there was a day during the pandemic where I was scheduled to talk to Najee Harris, the guy that became a first-round pick for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And Najee called in on the Zoom line, and he popped up on my computer screen like I'm talking to you guys, like I'm looking at you right now, right? And so I could see all you guys. I could see Brian. I could see Colin. I could see Michael. So Najee and I were able to see each other. It was the first time in four years that I had a guest on that I could see him and we could interact. And I can't tell you, it was like, I mean, it's so obvious. You'd think I would have thought of it sooner, but it was like seeing the light. And there was a connection there between Najee Harris and I. And ever since then, I've had all my guests on video. Now we don't use the video, but I'm talking to them on video. And so it's much more, I think it's much more personal. There's a connection there. And I think my podcast since the Najee Harris episode in April on the Adam Schefter podcast have been much better than they were pre Najee Harris in April. And oh, by the way, you have to excuse me, guys. My uh, I'm in a hotel room here in Bristol, Connecticut, and I and I haven't eaten all day because there's, there's the powers out in the hotel, and so they're bringing me up room service here. Oh, thank you so much. I'm gonna put that put that stuff inside there. We got some army and some tacos. How about that, guys? For a combination, I don't know how big that is in Ireland, but uh, Parasaurus is on. Parasaurus. Woman, woman, woman. You can just put it down over there. It's perfect. Thank you, ma'am. Yep. Thank you very much. No, you, thank you very much. Okay. Sorry about that, guys. Adam, so I lunch here. Before you get into the lunch, Adam, we'll, we'll carry on with the questions. And I suppose leading into training camp, uh, I suppose the Rogers saga was, I suppose, one of the main key storylines. That's being put to bed now. And I suppose the Sean Watson story still yeah. rumbles. The Sean Watson story still rumbles on and it doesn't look like there's any resolution. Then we had the Carson Wentz injury. I suppose right now, is there any particular storyline within training camp that you're keeping a keen eye on that you think is going to materialize over the next few weeks? Well, you know, here's the thing about training camp stories, right? Like you never know what is going to be a big story and what isn't going to be a big story because there's always injuries that happen. And so that, that's always the case for instance today the Chicago Bears lost their second round draft pick Tevin Jenkins an offensive tackle now they were counting on that guy to fortify their offensive line and it's not going to happen now so that that's a big certain way that's a story they're going to be pre just like it'll be a story but to me the story of um the preseason so far in our country and am I allowed to chew at a mommy as I do this? Or is that is that is that allowed? Is that permissible? Yes, Absolutely, sir. no problem at all. <laughs> <laughs> to me, the story of the preseason is how patient or impatient the teams that drafted quarterbacks in the first round will be. How long um, will Bill Belichick go before he turns to his first round pick, Mac Jones? How long will Kyle Shanahan go before he turns to his first round pick in San Francisco? Trey Lance, how long um, will Matt Nagy, the Bears coach, go before he turns to Justin Fields, his first round pick in Chicago? And to me, as we record this on Wednesday afternoon, there may be things that could happen with Deshaun Watson or another player or trade or whatever it may be. But from a football on-field standpoint, how quickly these teams go to these young rookie quarterbacks, to me, will be the biggest story a lot of this preseason. That's just the thing, Adam, as well. These days, the fans aren't as patient as they used to be in the past. They expect the rookie to be starting, albeit immediately. Oh, yeah, no, the, the fans are not patient at all. And, and sometimes, you know, the longer these teams can wait, the better it is for them, but sometimes they can't wait. And, and, and it feels like sometimes these organizations, they listen to the fans. And uh, uh, the more patient they can be, like we saw – the Chiefs be very patient with Patrick Mahomes. 
We saw the Packers be very patient with Aaron Rodgers. We saw the Patriots once be patient with Tom Brady. And, and so maybe these are poor examples. Maybe they had to be patient or they could be patient. But quarterbacks that have had time to sit on the bench for a little bit sometimes, that can turn out to be an advantage. Well, I'll make a random prediction, Adam. I think Trevor Lawrence might start week one. There's, there's, a, there's a shocker of revelation. I'm Mark, sure. Mark, you're on it. You are on it right there. I, I think that prediction is going to be – take that to the bank. Bet big dollars on that. Should be good. Should be good. Look, Adam, Michael touched on your extensive professional career. But, I mean, you know, it started back in your alma mater. You studied at University of Michigan, Northwestern University. Both of them actually have really good Irish quarterbacks. Tom Brady, we're claiming definitely as Irish. And Northwestern, Otto Graham had some Irish heritage, I believe. And John Paddy O'Driscoll, way back when at the inception of the NFL. So, you know, you, Irish NFL, you know, it was always meant to be, always meant to be. But it does strike me, Adam, look, all of your, you know, education there, the 30 or so years you've been in the media in relation to newspapers, in relation to broadcast. All of these are skills you've honed over time to really bring together some of these amazing breaking stories. I mean, we mentioned about your, your breaking news on Aaron Rodgers on draft day. That was built up over a number of weeks and obviously checking with sources and preparing that story very diligently. I'm just curious, in your lengthy career, are there any particular stories that stand out for you in terms of that gestation period on preparing them? Or even are there any infamous examples where the... Uh, scooper extraordinaire has become the scoopy because someone's jumped in ahead of you well you think back over 31 years and there are a lot of ups and a lot of downs um and you always like to think of the next stories as being the best one um but what i would say uh is that yeah mark there there are certain stories that stand out to me just because of the strange circumstances. I, I was talking with my boss about a week ago and um, it was just a little story. Like uh, I, I had said that James Washington had requested a trade from the Pittsburgh Steelers. And Mike Tomlin came out and said, he hasn't requested a trade. Well, yeah, yeah, he did actually, you know, the agent went to the general manager and he requested a trade. And so, you know, the coach came out and said, he's like, she, do you want to say something? I'm like, ah, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to get involved. And he's like, my, my boss said, why are you always in the middle of these things? And I'm like, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's amazing. I guess maybe it's the nature of the job sometimes um, that you're going to report on things that organizations don't want out there. Sometimes you work on them an incredibly long period of time and nothing materializes at all. I can think of certain stories that I worked on that I tried to confirm, pin down and never were able to get even though I know they were there. And then I could think of other stories where all of a sudden they just surface that you weren't expecting. Like the night where I was at my mother-in-law's surprise 75th birthday dinner in Piermont, New York. She just walked in. We had just sat down to dinner and I get a text. It was a Saturday night in August. Someone texted me, got a moment. And I'm thinking to myself, man, you know, with the nature of these jobs, you just never stop. I said, I just sat down. I texted back. I just sat down to my mother-in-law's birth, surprise, 75th birthday dinner. Is everything okay? And the person said, had some information for you. And I said, okay. So I sit to the table, excuse me. And I took a step outside to call back this person. And I said, everything all right? He said, uh, just want to give you a heads up that Andrew Luck is going to be retiring tomorrow. And I said, what? <laughs> and so, uh, I mean, I, that was about as close as I've come to say, Hey, I'll call you tomorrow. I, which I never do. Like I'm always very quick to respond much to the chagrin of my wife and family. Um, but that time I did respond and, and that turned out to be a story I wasn't expecting that weekend. Right. So that happens. Uh, there are all sorts of circumstances that go into every, there. I like to tell, there's a story behind every story. And just like coaches can remember plays from games, I can tell you the details behind certain stories that have and have not materialized through the years. I, I, if I got a text saying Andrew Duck was retiring, I don't know what I would do. And fair play for keeping it quiet for at least a few hours. Adam, three weeks, this was Thursday night now, three weeks tonight, the NFL season's finally back, Bucks, yeah. Cowboys. 
for you, is there any team at the minute that has just gone under the radar that maybe a lot of people aren't talking about? Or what team do you think, on the other hand, might actually take a big step back this season? Well, Michael, what I would tell you there is that um, every year in the NFL, there are teams that are not expected to do well that do well. And there are teams that are expected to do well that don't. And that's one of the reasons I think football is as popular uh, as it is because it's so unpredictable. Now we know every year, like as long as Patrick Mahomes is playing quarterback, the chiefs are going to be good. It just, they are. And if you have a great quarterback, unless that guy gets injured, your team's going to have some kind of competitive season. Now, whether it's enough for a playoff spot, a division title, a Super Bowl, we don't know. The, the surprises come, I think when uh, a team like this year, Jacksonville, I think, will play better than people realize. Now, I don't know that they'll win 10 games, but they'll be better than they were last year. And I think the same is true of Cincinnati, uh, maybe the New York Jets. Um, you know, the worst teams, the, the league is set up for the worst teams to get better. Sometimes they, they struggle to do it, but that's how the league is set up. I think Philadelphia will be better than people realize. But to make that big jump into the upper reaches where you're team is good enough to play with Tom Brady and the Buccaneers or Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. That's asking a lot for one of these teams that was off the radar last year. The chances are that's not going to happen. Now you're asking me which teams can turn around. Yeah, that teams can make it competitive and interesting, but there's a lot that has to be done. Adam, we're a nation of storytellers in Ireland and you talked about the stories within stories. And so I want to maybe delve a little bit, flip Mark's question a little bit. We talked about the big stories that are of interest to the audience. I'd love to hear about, you know, some of the stories that have been memorable to you, but memorable for different reasons. I mean, I'm thinking of a, we had Stink on the, the, the show with us and he has that great story about him and Elway and the head-to-head -head photograph. Um, and, and it's that that he really remembers rather than say that the final, the, the, you know, the, the actually lifting the Lombardi. So I'm interested for you in terms of hearing some of the, the stories that have stood out to you over the, the course of, of your career and some maybe some of the, the, the most fun that you've had. Well, Colin, you know, you, you, first of all, I'm amazed at your guys' knowledge of the NFL. Um, the fact that, you know, nicknames like Stink, Mark Schlereth, a guy, a guy that I covered in Denver as a newspaper reporter. That's unbelievable to me. You just say it so matter-of-factly. Um, much respect to you guys for that. When you say stinking, you bring up John Elway and him laying on him. That's the first thing that popped into my mind uh, was a story from that weekend. And it's just typical of how these things work. So the Broncos were playing the Atlanta Falcons in Miami, Super Bowl 33. That was the game. I was there. I covered that team. And I mean, I remember the hotel where we were staying at. Um, and at 6.30 Sunday morning, that Sunday morning when the Broncos are playing the Falcons, my phone rings, and it's Mike Shanahan, the Broncos head coach. And I pick up, and I said, hello? And he said, is it true? And I said, is what true? Eugene Robinson, the Falcon safety, was arrested for soliciting a prostitute last night? And I said, it's true. And he said, you sure? I said, it's true, Mike. He's not playing today. No, he's going to play, but it's a problem. So Mike Shanahan was calling me that morning to confirm that it was true, to see if the guy was playing. Um, we talked about it and how it might impact the game. And sure enough, in that game, Rod Smith, the Broncos wide receiver, caught a long touchdown pass where he beat none other than Eugene Robinson on that play. And that was an incredible story. Like, there's a story behind the story that wasn't really my story, right? But there are a lot of stories with everything, Colin. So there's another story for you. How about that one? Adam, I, I said you've got so many stories over the years. We, we were fortunate to have Tom Pelicello um, from NFL Network recently. And he, he said during free agency, when we, he'd only got into bed 10 minutes, only to get a text about a breaking news. And he spent three hours on NFL Network, basically half undressed. Is there any particular stories that... Do I recollect in terms of your career, something similar where very unusual circumstances? Well, it, it's the life we live, right, Brian? And what I would say, the one I remember is when I became a dad, um, and I took my daughter out to get gas. She was probably a year old at the time. Um, we could look it up and find that exactly how long. But there was a that year, everybody, the Miami Dolphins and 
the Los Angeles Rams and other teams were all trying to hire Jeff Fisher as their head coach. And it was in January. And I took my daughter out to get gas. I was at the gas station. I get a call. Hey, I want to give you a heads up. The Rams are hiring Jeff Fisher. The Rams? Okay. So I tweeted out as fast as I can. I rush home to go do Sports Center for my home studio at my house in New York. I run inside, you know, like I, I, I race into the driveway, jump out of the car, run into the studio, get mic'd up, get onto the Sports Center, deliver the breaking news. The Rams are hiring Jeff Fisher. And my wife pops in. She goes, Where's Dylan, our daughter? And I said, Oh shit. I forgot her. She's in the car under freezing cold. I left my daughter in the back seat of the car. I totally forgot her. Yeah, I'd say that went down well, Adam. <laughs> oh yeah, Mo was very happy with me. I, it, it's not the same style, Adam. But I remember having my uh, six-week-old son fall asleep on me during the Patriots Falcons Super Bowl. I'm a Patriots fan, yeah. and my wife being most concerned that I didn't wake him up, and how I didn't during that entire game was. Uh, one of my greatest achievements probably in life. Congratulations, Mark. That's very well done. But, oh. yeah. You guys are you know, freezing up on me. Family, oh, NFL, it gets together. You know, we're in preseason. People are being cut. Sorry, Adam, can you hear me? Yeah, I got you. Yep, you got me. Got me? Sorry. Go for it. Yeah. Go for it, Mark. Go for it. Sorry. So, Adam, we're at the time where the dreams are being dashed, frankly. We're in preseason. People are being cut. Obviously, a couple of cuts already going down. I just saw the other day, Don Molbach, the long snapper who's been with the Detroit Lions for 17 years, has been cut. You know, his guy called out, obviously, by Jason Hansen, a long-time kicker there, but even by the owner, Sheila Ford Hamp, as a, probably a Detroit Lion great. You guys, um, know, it. You guys know everything. Well, we try to. We try to. But, I mean, stories like that kind of break your heart a little bit, as well as the young guys getting cut. I'm just wondering, like, you know, I know you're a journalist and you're objective on all this. But has there ever been anyone that you've like secretly been rooting for, even in this preseason, you're particularly looking out for and wondering, can they make it? Can they get onto that that roster at this particular time? What I would say to that is, um, back when I covered the Denver Broncos on a day-to-day basis, first for the Rocky Mountain News and then for the Denver Post, and I covered them for almost 16 years, you're with these guys every day, and um, you, you get to know them a little bit. And you would be very sad for them and disappointed for them that that they didn't make the team in my current position i really don't go around to very many training camps they want me in studio to do nfl shows all the time so i don't have a lot of personal interaction with the you know sixth string linebacker in detroit trying to make the roster so when he gets cut it's it's unfortunate i hope it works out for that young man that he finds another job in the nfl or something post football that can uh, sustain him and his family. But I don't know these men personally that are fighting for these jobs. So it's hard for me to be emotionally wound up in it. I know that on the last cutdown day that there are 32 teams um, releasing, what is it? 32 players. I mean, it's like 1600 roster. There are 1600 young men being fired that day, essentially. So that That's not, that's not nice saying, you know what? It's not easy for the coaches and the GMs and the assistant coaches because they're around them for all the training camp, and then they have to say goodbye to them. I always remember, very weird when I'd be in the Broncos locker room, be 90 guys all summer, 90, 90, 90, 90, 90, and they cut down, and it was to 55. It just felt like, whoa, what happened? The room felt half as big. It just felt more space, a lot less crowded. Like, you could really feel the difference. So I know that every one of these teams feels all these moves that they're about to make here in the next couple of weeks. Adam, we've got uh, one more round of questions, if that's okay, man. Uh, my one wants to center on the time difference. So in Ireland, we're about five hours. Well, yeah, we're, we're most of the time we're five hours behind Connecticut. I wake up on a Sunday morning. Let's say it's week one. Buzzing. NFL season's back, baby, right? It's about 10 to 10 in the morning, 9.50 a.m. And suddenly Adam Schaffer pops on saying that somebody's out for the game. Now, do you, what's a typical day like in the life of Adam Schefter? Do you schedule these tweets because you look like a wizard to people that, that are seriously trying to sleep? I'm, I'm stunned half the time, to be honest I, with you. I don't, I, I don't even know how to schedule a tweet, Michael. So, so that I've, never, I've never done that. Um, <laughs> that's never happened. I just tweet 
you know, I don't, I don't sleep much during the season and there are injury updates that come in. So I put it out when I get it. Um, and that, that's just the job. Everybody's got a job to do and they're, and they're executing it the way that they do. Um, and my job is to cover information and injuries and moves and comings and goings. And so, you, you know, you do whatever you can to try to do the best job you can, whether that's, you know, waking you up in Ireland or waking you up in the United States. Out of one of the, the most, I think, insightful books on like the real life of uh, inside the NFL is a book you wrote some time ago with Bill Romanowski, Romo. Um, yeah, four times Super Bowl champion. And you did, I'm a big Broncos fan. You did a book with uh, TD. You did a book with Mike Shanahan. I'm just interested in obviously, look, your, your time commitments being such as they are now between work and your, your family and dog responsibilities. But if you had enough time and, you know, obviously like Tom Brady, Peyton Manning would would be there. But I'd be interested to know, like, is there somebody you'd love to collaborate with on a on a book uh, if, if you had that opportunity in terms of blue sky thinking? Well, Colin, first of all, I didn't write a book with Bill Romanowski. I wrote five books with Bill Romanowski because basically I gave him the first draft and he's like, oh, this is too raw, too, too much in here. We got to take some of this stuff out. Can you redo this? Can you redo that? Okay. And that gave him that version. And he gave it to his wife. And she's like, are you crazy? We're not putting this in there. We're not putting that in there. We're not putting that in there. So I rewrote that book. I wrote like five. And on the last edition, he had this life coach. He's like, I want Bill Tal, my life coach, to weigh in and, and, and write some things. I'm like, how about it, Bill? Whatever you want. At that point, I was kind of dumb. Like, and I love Romo. Uh, I love Romo. But that was just, that was insane, the way that that happened. You know, the way. Um, so I, I, I didn't write one book for Romo. I wrote five books with Romo. That, that's just kind of the way that that went. Um, Terrell Davis, that was my first book. Loved writing with him. Mike Shanahan. You know, Mike, Mike is a brilliant guy, and I love Mike, and he's super. But he didn't have a lot to say. So I, it, it took a lot to get him to come up with things to write for that book. And even afterwards, you know, he, I hear him say some things. I'm like, why didn't you tell me that for the book? You would have made my life a lot easier. If there was somebody today that I would I would write a book with, I got to be honest with you. Um, writing books are the male equivalent of giving birth, and I, it, it, it's not something that I would look to or long to do. Um, it, it's not ideal, uh, so I'm not looking to do one. Maybe one day I will um, do another book at a different stage in my life about the stories behind the stories. Um, that, that would be kind of fun. But right now, uh, I got enough on my hands doing the Adam Schefter podcast and all the work for ESPN uh, and uh, trying to wake up Colin in Ireland with the uh, tweets that I'm, that I'm not scheduling, that I'm doing around the clock. <laughs> Adam, Adam, we've seen the continued success of the international series and despite no games last year because of the pandemic, the NFL still seems so committed to growing the game, this side of the world with potential games coming in Germany next year. And when I'm going back to 2007, when they first brought the games over with the Giants played the Dolphins, um, were you skeptical that it would be a success? And what's your thoughts on the overall evolution of the game since we've moved games to this side of the world? Well, um, you know, you, you got a situation where the league feels like it's maximized revenues. Um in, in this country. And so it's going to look to do whatever it can to grow the game as much as it can. And what's the one way to do that is to grow it internationally and to look to places that don't have football. And so that's what they're doing. And um, you guys would know this better than I, the appetite for the NFL over in Ireland or um, England or Germany or wherever it is, right? Uh, it seems like people like it. I have no idea how much they do or don't. I just, I, I can't gauge that. I know that the NFL can't make enough money. And so whatever the league want can do to make more money, they're going to do that. If that means going to Ireland, they're going to go to Ireland. Whatever it is to make more money, they're going to do that. And they're very good at making money. Adam, uh, I, like, I can say thank you, but seriously, man, like to, to, to take half an hour from us lads for three weeks before the season starting and chatting to us, not just us, but fans across Ireland, across the UK, across Germany, across Europe, it's, 
it's a massive honor. We honestly encourage everybody to check out the Adam Schefter podcast and, and just to check out Adam both on Twitter and, and on ESPN as well, which everybody can really get over here now as well. And it's been a pleasure, Adam. I hopefully we can repay the favor in Los Angeles in February. Who knows? Well, I, I appreciate you guys having me. You know what? Maybe we could get like some sort of, some sort of like a thing going in Ireland. And uh, I could do like a speaking gig and you guys get sponsors and they <laughs> over there. Right. And, and we do that. Go back to Ireland. I could talk more. You could listen. Like we could have a whole big thing going. So I'll leave that to you to figure out. But in the interim, you guys are incredibly knowledgeable and I appreciate having me very kind of you. I hope you guys have a great season. Enjoy all the NFL action. And thank you very much for paying attention to, to what I do, to what the NFL is. Uh, it's everything happening here in the United States. Joining us this week on the Irish NFL, so presented by Trust Gaming, is none other than connected editor with the big with the business post, the guy that has talked about the NFL across Ireland as, as well. Again. Emmett Ryan, Emmett, welcome into the show. It's great to be here, Michael, and the guys. Great to see you all as well. Like. Well, uh, I don't. In fairness, I I think I'm I'm pretty. I'm the easiest one to to spot on on screen, Emmett. But um, for our viewers, I suppose, can you talk to us? We all have our stories about how we came to to love the the, the game of American football, the NFL. How was it that you first got into the sport? Yeah, like it goes back to what I would have been say about eleven ish, I think, in school. So we're talking like nearly thirty years. Uh, this is back when you know there was only so many channels in Ireland, and Sky took all the football away. Uh, you know, the soccer that is. And so my whole thinking was, well, like, you know, want to watch something that sport. And uh, Channel 4 had all the cool stuff in the morning. So, you know, got into the regular routine of watching the watching uh, Blitz, the NFL magazine show, and uh, watching like Gazetta after that. Like, you know, that was my regular Saturday morning, preceded by Transworld Sport if I was up early enough. Uh, you know, and that was just basically my life for a long, long time. And it was even handy because even when I was playing underage sports, like, uh, you know, Blitz would be over typically before I had to go out for sports. Whereas Gazetta wouldn't be, you know, so I got, it gave me more reason to follow the NFL. Ended up becoming a Steelers fan, largely out of disliking the Dallas Cowboys, um, being frank about it, because they just kept on winning the Super Bowl over and over again. And I even like uh, the first, uh, well, it's kind of weird. So the first game I watched in the NFL was even the first game I'd have watched in college. We'll explain why in a second. And uh, so, you know, Steelers were playing the Cowboys one year and I figured, well, I'm obviously going to root for these guys. And so I sort of became a Steelers fan ever since then. Although, like, on a Sunday, I'll be honest, if Steelers are playing a game and it's not particularly exciting, I'm it's going to take a lot for me to change over from Red Zone. Like, Red Zone's my Sunday religion at this stage. Like, you know, guaranteed. Like, I know, do wings every Sunday night for it. Like, you know, all that. Like, you know, go all out. But uh, I, I'm currently single, but I've had very tolerant girlfriends in the past, what I will say about that. Uh, and, uh, but, yeah, no, it's kind of weird. So, because obviously back, you know, 10-11, you didn't know the whole college versus NFL thing at all. You just knew it was American football on the telly. So the first pro, pro, uh, NFL game I'd have seen would have been a championship game where the Niners beat the Cowboys because I didn't even know American football games could be on at an hour that was palatable in Ireland. Uh, and it just happened to be on Channel 4 one Sunday evening when it was like still well before my bedtime. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. And I got to watch the whole first half. Uh, but yeah, college games is what I would have seen a lot more as as a kid mainly because one of the few channels we had, because uh, I was in Dublin, so we had the 14 channels, was NBC Super Channel. They had all the Notre Dame home games. So I ended up watching all the Notre Dame games on a Saturday evening because like I was 14. What the hell was I going to be doing on a Saturday night, to be frank about it? And so, you know, I'd watch that on my Saturday evening and it was great. So that was sort of, you know, my driving into getting into it as a youngster. And obviously sort of it became easier to access as I got older. Like there was this sort of wobble period in my late teens where it was just genuinely hard to find it because Channel 4's commitment went away and Sky just had everything. So, you know, seeing any of it was a nightmare. But like sort of once I sort of hit my like early 20s on, it was much easier to access again and much easier to watch games. And ended up playing it for three years in Ireland, which was also a whole lot of fun. Um, and ju judging by when you watch your fourth game, it sounds like we're in the same uh, age category. Well, I'm so, 40, so yeah, it sounds about right. <laughs> the, the younger generation today who, who love NFL, they're well used to games being played now in the UK. And just your thoughts on how the game has evolved over the years, you know, the fact that it's so so big over the side of the world now. Yeah, Jenny, I hadn't even thought of that because, like, there's a huge gap between my first and second games I attended in person, like, in football, like, in general, like, because 
first NFL game uh, wasn't until the UK games became a normal thing in like the last decade. But and that would have been, uh, I think Steelers-Vikings was my first NFL game in Wembley. Uh, it was terrible. Uh, not because the Steelers lost, it was genuinely a bad game, uh, you know, just to be clear. Uh, but uh, like uh, first game I would have gone to would have been like when Notre Dame played Navy back in Crow Park uh, back in the mid-90s. I think that was like 95 or 96. Someone can correct me on which year it was. And uh, like I was on Hill 16 for that. Uh, you know, so used to watching them week in, week out, like on Super Channels, like, oh, and now I get to see them in person. This is great. And this is going to be a normal thing that happens. And uh, didn't get to see a game again for another, like, you know, well, talking the guts of 20 years. I was in Aviva in 2012, like, you know, so 15 years gap, basically, between going to games for the other Notre Dame Navy game. And uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of surreal when I even think about it that way. Like, you know, just saying it out loud is kind of weird. Because I've been lucky, like, with the nature of my job that, like, I'm able to go to random games. Like, I went to Navy versus Air Force in the last pre-COVID season on an entire junket. Uh, it was, I was taught, I wrote about it for work, but, like, I was, I wasn't paying a penny to go watch a football game. And it was, like, amazing to see that. And I, in the Navy won, like, they were leading late and Air Force had a fourth and something. Uh, Navy fumble recovery, walk-off touchdown, fl- flood the field, exactly what do you want to see. And the teacher I'm wearing what we're doing this was the last outdoor game I went to uh, before uh, COVID, which was like Fordham versus uh, Holy Cross in FCS. So like the people I was visiting out in Hollywood, oh, I'd have to do fun things. Uh, well, by definitely I really mean indoor things, which didn't involve freezing their, their fingers off in, 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 uh, in, the, in the Bronx of New York. Whereas I was like, oh no, this is what I want, $15 for that and I got me t-shirts, so I was delighted. But the difference in access now versus when I was growing up was unreal. And it's entirely down to YouTube uh, and Twitter, like the social channels, because you can watch highlights so easily, so quickly now. Whereas, you know, there was questionable streaming services in the mid 2000s, but even if you knew your way around that, there was the problem of quality broadband in Ireland. So, you know, and not everybody has Sky, but now Sky Sports Mix, which is on most packages, has Red Zone every week, apart from I think there's like two weeks a season where they don't because some other Sky event clashes with it. But you've got like that and obviously Super Bowl's live and free to air TV somewhere every year. And like, you know, if I was that as a kid, I think it driven my parents crazy, to be honest. I think it's just as well for them that we only had the 14 channels back then. You know, it's like, it's 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 a, it's a weird experience. Like, because even like, I'm big into the college stuff still, like not just because of Notre Dame, but because I just enjoy it because it's much more varied in style than the pro game. Like obviously the standard's lower, but the amount of variety in style really compensates with that a lot. Like, and also fits the different parts of the week. If I'm staying in the Saturday night, I have the energy for a full game. If it's 6 p.m. on a Sunday, I'm sort of getting ready for the start of the next week. I just want to chill out and like red zone, just turn that on, have Chris Hansen losing his brain for six hours. And, you know, then eventually go to bed midway through through the late games. Uh, so, yeah, it's like it's the ideal setup for me now, to be honest, like, you know, so. But, yeah, I, I'm kind of glad I got into it when I did, like, you know, because I don't know if I'd have been that sociable uh, in my 20s otherwise. Emmett, your memory isn't bad. In Notre Dame Navy, I think, was 96. So you said All right. 96, so there or thereabouts. And I'm just amused, as you say, different generations of NFL fans, you know, fans that got into it in the 80s, the 90s and more recently. The ones that got into it more recently probably are wondering, when did the Dallas Cowboys ever actually win a Super Bowl or Quite, make the yeah. playoffs or win an NFC Championship game? So it's news for them a little bit there. Um, Emma, look, with your professional background, I'm, I'm inherently interested in your views on this. Look, the NFL, not only as you say the availability in Europe has grown, but it's an absolute media goliath. Like, I mean, oh, it yeah. dominates the sports news cycles all across the US, is expanding its international interests and you know, advances slowly but inexorably in that regard. Is there any part of that, though, from a professional angle you've looked at and gone, my God, like, how has this evolved and developed so much with the NFL network, with ESPN dominating so much of the airways to it? Um, What's your thoughts on that from a journalist's perspective? I suppose the easiest comparison is the English Premier League in terms of the way that's grown, in terms of, you know, all-consuming. And because like, you know, sort of even look at sort of the way it's taken up sort of, you know, more timeline in like the, the hardcore sports broadcasters, like it's harder for the other sports that those com- companies paid money for to get the attention to the same degree they used to. So, so it's like NFL obviously has that core fan base. And I think the European side is because the games are, at such a, it's such a convenient time, especially, you know, because even though I've got no kids for a lot of parents, like, you know, who are into sports Sunday evening, the kids are gone to bed and they don't want to expend energy. Like sticking a game on is the easiest possible thing in the world. And obviously there is also football, but 
maybe you're not a football fan, you know, you want to watch something else. And if you're not really into football, there's not really many other options during the winter. And like, you know, it's, it's a fun sport to watch in wintertime. Like okay? it is definitely suited to the season. Uh, you know, I think that's a big thing. The, I suppose the part that surprises me is that we haven't really seen the, the English Premier League adopt the having its own channel thing yet to the same degree. I know it does overseas in some respects, like there is the Premier League studios and all that, but they haven't gone with a domestic, this is the English channel for the UK and Ireland market, where it's just like, it was the one surprise because like, yeah, but NFL Network was uh, to me, uh, one of the handiest things for the internet in the early days because used to always on NFL.com have little clips from NFL Network shows so I could like watch that during the week like this is pre-YouTube like you know so that you know and it makes you realize how long NFL Network's around and it, it is older than YouTube as a concept so you know they were trying to find more ways to get more NFL content out there and like the, the news cycle for football has gone from like what was basically forget it about it uh, after you know the after Super Bowl like you know if you're really hardcore the Pro Bowl and that used to be afterwards until essentially you know August when preseason started it's like it would you know even in europe especially you just didn't hear people talking about it between you know february and the end of august until it came back where and you know and in the us to a degree it definitely dampened as a news cycle but obviously it's straight into the combine it's straight into the draft and it's straight into like you know somebody's done something stupid uh and then it's straight into training camp and you know there's just no end to the news cycle now and it was obviously the, the it's, it's it is also weird in that respect because when you think of your number of players in a roster, like there's only so many players who can have name recognition. Like the other sports to a degree have it easier. Like, you know, well, not so much hockey because they've got pretty large rosters considering the number of guys who actually are on sides at one time. But if you look at baseball, you look at basketball, it's a lot easier to be a well-known basketball player, even though it's a much smaller sport in terms of profile. And to a degree, baseball as well, even though it's in terms of profile, than a football player, you've got to really be at the absolute creme de la creme or a complete crazy person to be a well-known footballer. They've got those annoying masks in the way. Well, basically, yeah. It's like I remember watching the documentary Broke a few years ago, and they said one of the reasons, like, you know, loads of guys in the US and sports go broke across the sports, but said one of the reasons guys tend to go broke a little faster in football is they spend the money more as people know who they are. Uh, and you've actually mentioned basketball, Emmett. I, I love that I can ask you this and, and look at a couple of voice faces here. <laughs> Your tweet about covering basketball during Dublin games, uh, it was probably one of the best tweets I've read this year. Uh, obviously, if anybody is watching this or listening to this, oh, yeah, Dublin yeah. got beat of the weekend against Mayo. Uh, that was tough, been yeah. it, it's, it's been a quiet weekend for a few of us, not, not me now, Emmett, but uh, like obviously seeing Mayo almost do like a Buffalo Bills and get to the final again. Do you think, and I guess that's the one thing I sort of think as well, Emmett, we are probably never going to see a team in the NFL win six in a row. I mean, if it happened, it would be quite boring, wouldn't it? Or do oh, yeah. you think there's that much flexibility in the NFL that it could still be great crack, even if Brady went to, I don't know, a different team for six years in a row? Or? I, I think even a four in a row would drive people crazy, to be honest. Like three in a row is like absolute special territory. Like when a team does back to back, it's basically immortalized immediately. Mm. If they do three and four years, people will never stop talking about them. You know, it's like, it's, it's, a lot, it's sort of, because obviously we all talk about everybody who watches the show knows that the NFL is designed to read parity. But what that design to read parity really does is it really shows who's an idiot. Because if a league designed to not allow you to mess up too much, yet you still can Detroit, you still can Jets. You know, it's like there's some teams who got this expand, extend, extended periods of absolute utter awfulness like because it's very hard to stay at the top but in theory it should be just as hard to stay at the bottom like you know like you know for, like, remember there was a lot longer where there was only where there was no teams with as an all an auto and whatever record uh, since like you know excluding expansion teams because uh, that's kind of hard to blame an expansion team back in the 70s to go start start off with to, to, to go on whatever like no team which wasn't an expansion team had got, had got had a perfect in the other direction record until really the generation that we're part of like you know it was in this in this century whereas obviously you know the Dolphins have gone perfect. Patriots had their perfect regular season. Both of those preceded any team that wasn't a first-year expansion franchise having an imperfect season, so to speak. So it really, to me, like that parity, it, do, it, it, it does make it harder to stay awful. But on a, on a more serious side, it does mean for an extended period, like the only team financially in terms of where their cap is at that could realistically look at it is the Chiefs right now because you know they obviously have so many of their guys are still on fairly team-friendly contracts uh you know even allowing for the Mahomes extension and all that but even for that you've got to make sure not enough people break because you know you lose an offensive you know a tackle probably not winning Super Bowl you know it's like it's that quick like it's it's just one bad person going down injured and like a lot of people go down injured in the NFL every year we see that plenty it's just hard to maintain that level of consistency. 
Remember, it's interesting you said that Holy Cross and Fordham was the last game you saw. That was the very first game I saw uh, back in 1991, the Wild oh, wow. East Classic down in down in Limerick in the Gaelic grounds. I think me and about 14 other people were probably there. Um, but yeah, so I enjoyed the, the college game as well. But we, we are facing into a new NFL season. Um, you know, we've the, the first week of, of the preseason games over. I suppose, is there anything in particular that you are looking forward to um, this upcoming season or that you'll be keeping an eye on? Well, I want to see how the books do in terms of the aging thing. I don't mean Brady. Like Brady, I first wrote off that he's clearly done from the years back in 2014 in a, in a betting column I used to do for the Business Post. So don't trust me when it comes to Tom Brady being too old stuff. I'm the first to say I get that wrong. But like, a lot of the other top players aren't that young, uh, you know, and so if they can keep it together, like, let's see how they hold it together. That could get interesting. Obviously, they have a fairly soft division this year. The Falcons are not great. The, you know, Saints are changing at QB and uh, the Panthers are, well, we'll see if Christian McCaffrey can go absolutely insane in his comeback season, but they're still also not where they would like to be. So there's that. Going to be very interesting to see the AFC North because to me, there's three good teams and there's one team with uh, painfully awful well, not good teams. Right? There's three teams who are very fun to watch, two of which could be very good. Then there's the Bengals, then there's the Steelers who have uh, offensive line, which to me is designed to ensure Ben Roethlisberger is forced into physical retirement because that offensive line, like Ben was never, the, well, he was always enjoyed being mobile, but it wasn't like he was the most athletic guy going. He was just a strong guy in his younger days. But uh, like that line is not for the faint hearted. They are awful. And I just see him getting absolutely destroyed this season. Like, you know, he's going to be carted off at least twice. <laughs> you know, it's like, and only a second time is only because he's going to be dumb enough to try and come back. Well, Eminem, I was going to ask what your expectations are for the Steelers this season. Uh, it sounds like you're already, you're already kind of showing your hand there. Um, I'll revert to another one. What's, I suppose, is there any particular teams that you feel are floating under the radar that could make a big impact this season, potentially make a real push for the Super Bowl? Uh, it's like, all I, I suppose there's a couple like sort of who were sort of, you know, there and their best last year. Like, the, the, the Bills, I think, could go either way. They're either going to make that next step or it could be an enormous drop-off. Like, you know, to me, like, you know, I, 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 I kind of like the attitude of their fans, even though they're also kind of crazy. Uh, so I'd like to see them kick on. But like, to me, that could go either way. Like, they could just as easily have, you know, a catastrophic season with one or two bad injuries. I'm trying to think who, who I'm looking at the divisions here in my head, over the top of my head, who's really standing out to me. Like, you know... NFC North, you kind of go, well, who's really there? Like, you know, it's like the Vikings, if they can find a way to, to have Kirk Cousins be not entirely terrible, could actually do quite well. I thought they underperformed last year. Most of that was down to Cousins being awful, granted, but like he doesn't need to be good. He just needs to be not terrible. And if he can hit not terrible, they can do an awful lot of damage, I think, because their talent in pretty much everywhere that isn't quarterback really impresses me a lot. And like to me, like the, the NFC West has always been a wild one because like there's nobody there I consider to be bad. Uh, like, you know, I'm not saying they're all going to have winning records, but like any one of them could really just jump out and suddenly actually have a good side. The, 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 the situation in San Francisco, the quarterback is the one thing holding them back to a degree, I suppose. But like the Rams are probably due a bounce back at some point, especially now with the change of quarterback would be very interesting there. And uh, it's... And obviously the Chargers, second year of what was a team that overachieved last year, it's the AFC West, you know. So there's like a few is going to be interesting, but like, you know, like I just, it's kind of weird, uh, even though I'm a Steelers fan, I kind of want to see the Browns step forward again this year so I can actually grow to hate them properly because I've never really been able to hate the Browns, which is, you know, the worst insult I can give to Cleveland fans. I have a buddy who lives in Northern Ohio who's a massive Browns fan and I just kind of, I want to be able to hate Cleveland just for you, man. Like, you know, it's just, it's, it was rude to hate the Browns for so long. I was on a presser in San Fran a few years ago and made a point of meeting the one guy I knew who wasn't a work contact in San Fran. He's in my fantasy league to sit, he, he, to sit in a bar, watch the Browns finally get that win after the long, 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 long stretch where they didn't win forever and they won a Thursday night game. And I drank 8% beer like I thought it was 4% and that did not go all the next morning. And of course, if the Browns do do well, uh, Baker Mayfield's contract will be very interesting, especially in the light of the extensions for Mahomes and for Josh Allen recently, who became another quarter of a billion dollar man in total money. Uh, you mentioned Mahomes actually in the cap space there that the Chiefs have. I mean, it's an interesting thing. Of course, the accelerators will kick in. I think his cap hit this year, and this is crazy, for Patrick Mahomes is $7.4 million. So for anybody keeping track at home, that's the same cap hit as Taysom Hill, and as Case Keenum. And I certainly know who I'd rather be starting at quarterback. Um, but Emma, actually, I mean, like the biggest market inefficiency in the NFL has been noted for many years 
is a superstar quarterback on a rookie contract. You mentioned, obviously, the Chargers with Justin Herbert's prime example. But this year, we had an historic draft. Like the 83 draft, like the 99 draft, five QBs selected in the first round, starting, of course, with the man of the moment, the man with the luscious locks, Trevor Lawrence. Uh, but obviously, some interesting picks. Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, even Mac Jones to my beloved Patriots. Just wondering about your thoughts on those rookie QBs, how you see them panning out this year uh, I in think La- the 21 season. I think Lawrence is the most obvious upside. Uh, he's going to have that job until, you know, as much as he wants in, in Jacksonville. There's going to be very little pressure on a minute. He's in a division which is somewhat offense-friendly as well, so the divisional games should hopefully work his way. Obviously, you've got the absolute dumpster fire that is Houston for twice a year, which really helps. And, uh, like There are some pretty bad teams in the NFL this year, mostly by, by, you know, by self-immolation as well. And, uh, you know, we're looking to look at it and go, after that, like Zach Wilson is a very Jetsy pick, which is not the most positive thing, like, because, you know, he played at BYU, which is a hard school to judge at because of their independent schedule. And, like, he could be great. He might be awful. And I don't know which. Like Mac Jones, the hardest to read a lot entirely because it's so hard to work out how good an Alabama quarterback is because the system they have there, it's very hard for a quarterback to not look good against most teams. Like I, the quarterback they had the year before Tua, I've forgotten his name, but like he was never on anybody's NFL draft boards. But his actual stats weren't that bad because the system around him was designed to protect them, basically. Like, so it's very hard, I think, always to read an Alabama quarterback coming into the NFL. So Mac Jones might be great. He might not be at all. I genuinely have no idea. And I watched a lot of Alabama last year. Still have no idea about about Mac Jones. And you know, then it's like, it's like who, who else? Oh, Justin Fields is what I want. Fields is going to be interesting because I think there's a huge upside there, but it needs the right situation. I think he's one 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 that should work, but I can see why he wasn't everybody's top two pick. Like, but if I was honestly, it was picking between him and Wilson. I feel feel Fields was less of a gamble and more, uh, you know, a high a high potential upside to be honest. But you know, I think a lot of people would kind of, you know, where the Jets were, they would have probably been given out to for picking an, an Ohio State quarterback who, yeah, he did well in the system type thing. I think Fields sort of was better than the system, uh, and that's why I kind of like him a lot. So it's a hard one to read in terms of for you know everybody beyond Lawrence. I think Lawrence, I watched, I first saw him would have been the last game or so of the season when he won the national championship the first time, and it's like, oh yeah, this guy's amazing. And so it's like, and I watched a good bit of him since. And Notre Dame fans, I watched him play against them. Uh, yeah, no, he's great. Yeah, he's really good. And I, I mean, it will take something special in Jacksonville to mess him up. It really will if they do. And I don't, for all the mistakes they've made in the past, like, you know, they managed to get to an AFC Championship game at Blake Bortles. Uh, and, uh, you know, they have a capacity to be competent just long enough to actually realize that they've gotten Lawrence, I think. Going from quarterbacks to another subject. Last one for me, Emmett. Uh, you're talking about being a Steelers fan, talking about all these games in the 90s. I was not fortunate enough to, to go to the game at Crook Park in 97, but as somebody that obviously is still involved in the game and in, in, in that fan aspect and obviously in your job now, how much would you like to see a game at Crook Park or the Aviva or insert stadium name in, in the North, preferably here at some point in the future, whether it's 10 years, 20 years, whatever? Do you think it's realistic, even in the current climates? And uh, obviously, if you had to pick two teams, who would it be after the Steelers? Oh, well, I think it's not too realistic right now, not because of the pandemic, even like a long pandemic. I think the NFL has sort of committed to larger markets for where they place the game. So that's why London is where they're going. And in fairness, that's why the people who are behind the College Football Classic and have, have targeted, you know, going after college teams, being able to sell that aspect to them, that makes sort of double the capital of the college game, so to speak. It's a smart play. Like, and I think of Eva over Croke Park in a heartbeat, by the way, because I want a stadium that doesn't feel cavernous. Because even if we feel Croke Park for an American football game, there's so much space, because it was there for rugby before as well. There's so much space between the so and soccer too as well. Same problem uh, between where the pitch itself ends and where the fans begin. It, it takes a lot away from it, I find. Uh, so if I was picking, it would be Aviva in a heartbeat. I found like going to the game in Aviva, the difference, you just felt on top of it, it was great. And in terms of who I'd want, if we were to get one in Dublin, oh God, uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, I think Chiefs Bills would be very interesting to watch. Uh, you know, but that's assuming Bills aren't broken. Uh, you know, it's not a plausible one because I don't see Casey ever giving up a game and Buffalo right now aren't giving up a game. Uh, you know, but uh, it's like, you know, it's like, number one, I'd love to go see Steelers game again, but I've seen them in, in Europe before. I'd want, I want to see them in, in Pittsburgh, you know, so I, I'd be sort of that way. I think Seahawks would be an interesting team to always bring over here because there's a lot of Seahawks fans in Ireland. Like the Patriots is, a, is an obvious one, but like right now they're awful. Uh, you know, it's like, and so it's like, 
And I say to someone who drafted Cam Newton in fantasy last year, not this year, I did not draft him this year. Uh, you know, I was convinced Cam was going to give me some great points last year in fantasy. So like, right, I think Seahawks would be one of the more fun teams to bring over to Ireland right now. Like you'd want to go for teams who are going to put up points. I think that's, a th- you know, the one thing we've learned from the games in London, if they're, you know, defense fast or if they're error fast, they become harder to watch very quickly. Um, Emmett, um, I'm interested because, you know, you, you're a published author on, on a number of different sports, seasoned journalists. Have you, have, how many other teams have you seen across different sports head into a season in the sort of shape that the Texans are going into this current NFL season? Oh, wow. That is genuinely hard because it, it's not many is the short answer. Uh, you know, it's... Uh... I, I, you know, Crystal Palace, you could argue this year with football with the amount of change they've had, but that's nothing compared to the Texans. I'm in the same, you know, universe. Uh, and it's like, wow, like, like what the Texans have is extraordinary. Like I've seen, and like I follow European basketball, which is brought to all sorts of financial calamities. And I've seen teams like collapse in terms of finances mid-season and even mid-season, their team didn't get the same sort of problems. Um, you know, it's, I'm just trying to think, is there anybody in the NBA you can compare to? There was in the pre-process years. There was a Sixers team back in the two thousands. Are called were really bad. But actually, even then, preseason we weren't talking about them as badly at that. Now that I think about it, there's only like a few games in that we finally start talking about them that way. Yeah, I don't think I was thinking of any side where, and we were talking. Like, we've been saying this months out from the season as well. It's not like we were saying it like you know we're recording this in August. It's not like we said it last month. Like pretty much since March, everyone's attitude towards the Texans has been oh, wow, they're going to be so, so terrible. Like, this is a long, long, the entire Sexton's news cycle since the season ended has basically been, they're going to be awful. Uh, and, like, they might not even go 0-16, you know? There have been worse teams, you know? But uh, it's like, well, I think in terms of sort of expectation of awfulness, they're up there. Like, I think the 0-16 Browns definitely had a lot of, you know, downbeat nature going into that season. People were thinking it could be historically bad because given the way a few things were. And uh, but even then, like that was a lot nearer the season that we were talking that up. Like, you know, it wasn't the same type of thing. It was well, it was well in the training camp. We were starting to go, you know, these Browns are bad, uh, you know. And uh, whereas like Houston, it's like from the start, it's been that way. I can't think of anything really in any sport where it's this level of utter madness. Shambles, shambles sure. is the word. But I think it's actually a shambles though before a season because I'm well, I could think of plenty of shambles that happened during a season, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah, none yeah. to this degree before a season. Well, look, I mean, even the 0 16 Detroit Lions went 4 0 in the preseason. They so, did, as you say, yeah. it's never been that long out. And somewhere in Glendale, Arizona, DeAndre Hopkins is laughing to himself for, for escaping that madness altogether. Uh, Emma, you've been very good. We really appreciate your time for joining us. Uh, today on the uh, tonight on the Irish NFL show, for anybody following him on Twitter, it's at Emma J Ryan, uh, Connect editor at the Business Post. Emma, really great to get your insights and appreciate your time, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Been a great, been great being on. Enjoy, enjoy the rest of the work this week, class. Cheers, Slam live.